Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the eighth wonder of the world, <laughs> the Black Psychologist Podcast, episode 42. We're back like we never left. I am one half of your humble and gracious host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And as most of you know, I'm never here by myself. I'm here with the one and only. They say the numbers don't lie. That is six or a nine. It's like he stands in front of the clock because he's ahead of the time. My man, Dr. Jason Coleman, the one and only. How are you, good brother? I'm good, man. I'm blessed. What's going on with you, bro? How you feeling? No, man, doing pretty good. You know, back, start another beginning of the week, man. Here we are. Yeah, man, we got, uh, I don't know what to think, man. We got like 70-degree uh, weather here in New Jersey, almost 60, in, in the 60s, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm going to take it. Um, I know what it's about. I know that global warming is definitely in effect, but uh, I'm going to take it, you know? Hey, you, listen, man, there's still people that don't believe it's a hole in the ozone, man. You I mean, know? But, um, it's burning down there, bro. Bless their heart, man, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it's crazy. Climate change is real, bro, you know? Absolutely. Also, um, I would be remiss if I didn't shout out my guy and congratulate you on the launch of the website. It's doing well. Merch out there. Go ahead and tell him, man. Shout that out. My guy's doing big things over here. Um, definitely. You know, we got uh, uh, shopmentalhealthclothing.com. Um, you know, we got uh, hoodies, T-shirts, you know, um, so check it out. Definitely appreciate the support and the feedback we've been getting. So. Um, you know, definitely appreciate it, man. You know, you know, I got your T-shirt coming too. Absolutely appreciate that. And, you know, Jay, um, actually one of my colleagues and friends actually brought something to um, to my attention a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't even really think about it. Uh, she was like, hey, like you guys just did your one year. Right. You guys have been doing this for one year. And I, I like you guys didn't say anything. And I really didn't even think about it. But, yeah, you know, we've been doing the podcast for a year, bro. So definitely wanted to uh, shout her out for bringing it to my attention, shout you out for doing an amazing job. And of course, shout out the people, our listeners, our subscribers, the people who have been rocking with us since day one that got on the train as we've been rolling. So we appreciate everybody as we've been on air for for a year. So, you know, um, I told her we might, you know, when once we get to 50, I think, you know, we'll probably do a little something, something, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, all jokes aside, definitely appreciate everybody tuning in and rocking out with us for for the you know for the whole year. So uh, much much appreciated. I mean, listen, definitely a big milestone. Um, you know, I'm definitely humbled. You know, by the support and the interest. Um, so just want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen because they they could be listening to anything else. Um, and just honestly, it, it I'm energized just by the the interest in mental health um, and the support. Um, and yeah, we just want to say thank you for everybody who, you know, watches the videos, likes and shares the videos and, you know, it's been, a, it's been a year. So definitely appreciate it. 
Absolutely. All right. So let's get into it, Jay. All right. Uh, so first and foremost, okay. So earlier last month, 16 members of the University of Penn women's swimming team sent a letter to the school and Ivy League officials asking that um, University of Penn swimmer Leah Thomas be sidelined or prevented from competing at uh, this month's championships. So Thomas is a transgender woman who swims for the UPenn's um, swim team, and she competed from or she competed for the Penn men's team for three seasons. After undergoing um, two years of hormone replacement therapy as part of her transition, she was posting like some of the fastest times of any female college swimmer in two events of this season. The letter uh, from Thomas's teammates raised the question of fairness and said that she was taking competitive opportunities away from them, namely spots in the Ivy League championship meet where schools can only send, send half of um, their rosters to compete. So in the letter, they said, we fully support Leah Thomas in her decision to affirm her gender identity and transition from man to, to woman. Leah has every right to live her life authentically. However, we also recognize that when it comes to sports competition, that the biology of sex in a se is, is a separate issue from someone's gender identity. Biologically, Leah holds an unfair advantage over the competition in the women's category, as evidenced by her rankings that have bounced from number 462 ranking as a male to the number one ranking as a female. If she were to be eligible to compete against us, she could now break Penn, Ivy, and NC, uh, NCAA women's swimming's records, feats that she never would have been able to do as a female athlete. Now, it's important to note, um, and that was the completion of the statement. Now, it's important to note, Jay, that um, after this original letter was sent earlier last month, 16 other members and teammates of the UPenn swimming team actually sent a letter to the school and to the Ivy League officials that they were in support of Leah continuing to swim for the team and in the championships. All right. So. In January, the NCAA had established like a new sport by sport policy in which uh, transgender athletes participate or their participation will be determined by the policy set by each sports governing body. So uh, earlier in the month, uh, the swimming, the USA swimming issued a new policy that establishes eligibility for uh, the criteria of transgender athletes in the sporting events. And they said uh, to determine the transgenders um, swimmers eligibility at an elite level, a three person panel of independent medical experts will determine whether the swimmers prior physical development as a man gives the athlete an, a competitive advantage over her cisgender female competitors. The swimmer must also show the concentration of testosterone in her blood has been at least five nanomoles per liter continuously for at least 36 months. All right. So despite this new policy, um, this has still ignited a nationwide debate over whether trans athletes should be allowed to compete in school and elite level sports. All right. So it's a lot of information to take in. Uh, as you read the article, what was your takeaway from things? Well, one thing I'll say, just being honest, is this is a an issue with a lot of sides to it. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know all the information in terms of all the sides, right? So I'm talking about this article um, and I'm going to tread lightly, but I want to set this conversation up with saying that I do agree wholeheartedly that um, Leah should be able to live her life authentically, right? 
which means like being addressed by the proper pronouns and all of the things that go along with that, right? Now, with that being said, we're talking about competition in sports, right? And what's being debated in this article is whether prior physical development as a man creates a competitive advantage, right? And all I can kind of say is, well, the first thing I'll say is I understand, you know, the outrage of the students who are upset by this, right? Um, because if you look at what they're saying, what they're talking about is this create this takes it this takes opportunities away from them, right? Um, again, I know it's going to be an ongoing conversation, but what I do think is troubling to me, and I guess is the kind of sticking point with me that makes me side with the students that are against it, is when you say, okay, when Leah was competing you know, with, against the male swimmers, her ranking was 462, and as a female, her ranking is number one, right? That doesn't pass the smell test to me, right? Um, and then, you know, again, when we talk about medical science, there's certain characteristics that change with hormone therapy, and then there are others that do not, right? That is why the NCAA has a sport-by-sport -sport policy, right? Because if they had a blanket policy, if you had transgender athletes who were males competing against female boxers, right? We might be having a whole different conversation, mm -hmm. right? Um, so again, you know, um, I'm open to hear, I guess, what the opposite opinions would be. Um, but right now, um, I would side with the students and I understand why they would be upset. What, what, what did you think? I'm a little I'm 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 towing the line a little bit on the opposite end. And at the same time, I see where the outrage and I definitely hear the concerns of the students that are against it. For I think there are a couple considerations um that aren't being, you know, um being put in play, right? So I believe that like the whole debate, um a bit of it I think is exaggerated, right? And I and I say that for the reason that like the narrative that's being promoted um in the general public is that like the sole reason that she's dominating is because you know she's transitioning from male to female right in the whole biology aspect of things and absolutely the numbers don't lie like i mentioned earlier you know that's that's quite a jump in rankings from somewhere in the 400s to number one you know in the woman's side i also think at the same time it's not like if you just place her in the pool because she's transitioning from male to female, um, like that's it, right? That that covers the whole thing. And I think that's what the narrative that is being painted is like, because she's transitioning, you put her in the pool, she's automatically better than everybody else. Where I think we also have to take in consideration that you know, she works hard, right? We have to take in consideration where she's been doing this since I think the age of five, like she loves this sport. And, you know, she had a whole year or two that she took off from swimming and she during while she was doing, I guess, the, the hormonal replacements and the therapy, like she was also practicing like she I can imagine was was practicing vigorously, which I feel like can also we have to take into consideration. Right. Because if you take any athlete, male or female, if you kind of take them away from whatever sport that they're playing 
And it's not like you're taking them away and they're rehabbing like an injury or some type of medical illness. Like they're actually still healthy and they get an opportunity to practice, um, hone their craft. They're away from like the, the, uh, the, the, the rigorous schedule of going to practices and, you know, um, going to away games, which, you know, can affect anyone's play. If you just take someone away who didn't have that for like one or two years, just straight practicing, and then you put them back into that competition. Like, I feel like that's also going to contribute to, you know what I mean? Someone's competition level being elevated. This is what I'll say though. Swimming, right? Like, like when I was in high school, right? I was on the field team, right? I was I threw the shot, the disc, and the jab, right? The men's and the women's records are totally different, bro. You understand? Like, the men's record, and I'm just throwing it out there. If the men's record could be 42 and the women's record could be 31. Right. That's how big the differences are, right? Mm-hmm. So I understand what you're saying, but I think people are getting caught up in the spirit of advocating for her living an authentic life. But that's why I couch this conversation with by saying living an authentic life and, and 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 competitive advantage are two different things. And let me explain my point. I could go with you down that road if there weren't 461 males better than her. When she was competing with against men, there were 461 men better than her. And, and let's just use logic, right? If from one season, if we use the logic you use, right. if she took off a, a season and came back competing against men and went from 462 to number three, two, or one, we would probably be thinking she took what? Steroids, right? That's a logical conclusion. So if somebody goes from 462 to one, I can say I understand the outrage of the students who are looking because we're talking about times, right? So I don't know the intricacies of the male times versus the female times. I'm not going to act like I know them. But it, when I look at 461 people <laughs> better than you as a male when you're competing against males and then you move in, all that happens is a year break with training. And you move into the female pool and now you're number one. What happened to the female that was number one last year? Did she stop working? You know, I, I doubt it, you know, I, but, I, I, you know, <laughs> and, and again, I'm not listening. So I, I will, I will, I will, I will counter your point. Right. Because right. when I was reading more about this, they said that out of the 200, 200,000 women that compete in the NCAA every year, he said it's been estimated that um, that only 100 are trans. Right. So mm-hmm. if we go by the logic of, OK, because she's you know, she has that physical advantage. Well, what about, you know, she's one out of 100. What about the other 99 trans? Right. Shouldn't they be dominating their sport also? Not, not necessarily, because Leah was 462. They could have been a number of thousand. We don't know. But, but thinking but about it, like you know, like that, would... like if we're being honest, that's the special snowflake argument. It's like right. we can't like let, like look at what let's look at what's in front of us, bro. What's in front of us is a person, and and that's why I was very specific with what I said in saying, if if we leave the trans if if we leave the transition out of it, right, and she was just competing with men, 
and took the same year off and moved up 461 spots. Brother, you would be telling me, let's test her for steroids, and you would be right. You know? But yet, she moves from 462 to number one. To me, that's, it's just troubling. You know, and the fact that they have to have a three-person panel. First of all, the fact that none of this passes the smell test, in my humble opinion, the fact that they have a sport-by-sport policy, right? Because if we take the same argument you were saying, right, I'm sure we would be in agreement. Do you think the transgender boxers would be dominating? Right. That's what I mean. You got to look at and see and this is where we get into this is where we get into a slippery slope because yeah. now we're talking about cat what characteristics change via hormone therapy and which don't and i'm not going to sit here and play expert i i know you're not no, you know we're not doing not. that but what i do think is also adding to this is that like right now especially in a lot of different states um because you didn't mention like you said people are advocating for her to live her authentic life and the right, right. This is also coming at a time where a lot of states across the country are continuing to like launch attacks on different trans rights. Right. You have right. The different uh, the bathroom. You have a lot of bills that are being passed, the bathroom bills prohibiting gender affirming and all these other different things. So I think this is also adding to what's happening. Right. This narrative that all of a sudden where the hysteria is being, you know, of inclusion and all it's, it's like at, it's at a an all time high now. So I feel like a lot of other different things just because of the culture that we're in is also contributing to this. So, and you know what, like this is going to be an ongoing thing. Like you said, we're going to be having an ongoing conversation about this for months and years to come for the reason that as more people are, you know, going forward and participating in, you know, their transition, they're also going to be playing sports. Like it's it's right. going to be hard pressed for this. You know what I mean? For someone just because, like you said, they're transitioning, they still like whatever sport or instrument or whatever that they play because that's what they've grown up to, to you know, to enjoy. So this is going to be an ongoing thing. And absolutely, I mean, definitely a slippery slope. This conversation, and again, like I looked, I was reading some articles just in terms of, and I mean, listen, all of the doctors are not in agreement in terms of whether it gives you a competitive advantage in what sports. And right. because again, certain characteristics change and others don't, you can't change your height. That's true. Right. So, right. so again, when we start talking about specific, specific sports, that may be kind of important. So, um, but again, I, I want to be, make it clear, you know, this is one article and, this is not my area of expertise. So I'm just giving my opinion on, you know, whether I agree with the students or not. Yeah, we'll see. You know, like they, they have the championships coming up, I think, later this month. As you know, a lot of the um the NCAA spring sports are, are coming into like their postseason tournament play. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll continue to see. All right. So we mentioned a little bit about medical and, med you know, um, physicians and, and things of that nature. So, Jay, as, as you and I have, you know, worked in just different positions and gone through our different clinical rotations, you know, the one thing that has always been the common denominator and that we've gained information from has been the medical records, right? Right. The medical records contain a plethora of information, you know, from a patient's diagnosis, from, you know, the treatment, 
to the marital status, to, you know, whether they're, you know, their drinking habits or their exercise habits, right? Medical records provide all this information. Um, they also note whether a patient has been following uh, the medical advice of their clinician. So a health provider might add a line stating that the patient is not compliant or not adherent, right? And that signals whether, you know, the patient has been uncooperative or the patient has been exhibiting problematic behaviors. All right. So this being said, uh, two large new studies found that such terms um, are much more likely to appear in the medical records of black patients than in those of other races. So we have one study that was published in the health affairs found that black patients were two and a half times as likely as white patients to have at least one negative description or one negative descriptive term used in their electronic health record. So the study was based on an analysis of more than 40,000 notes that were taken uh, for an 18,000 adult patient's um, at, an, at a large urban medical center in Chicago between January 2019 and October 2020. About 8% of all patients had one or more derogatory terms in their charts, the study found. The most common negative descriptive terms that were used in the records were uh, terms like refused, not adherent, non-compliant, agitated, failed or fail or failure, combative, or argumentative. And you even had an example, like one note said, um, the patient refused diabetic, refused their diabetic diet or was not compliant with their insulin regimen. All right. So Jay, just reading this article, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, listen, this, I wasn't surprised because this is a long, this has been like a long term kind of conversation that has been being had about like the doctor patient interactions and relationship when it comes to people of color, right? It impacts utilization rates. It impacts um, medical adherence. It, it impacts treatment adherence, all of those things. Right. Um, so I wasn't really surprised. I, you know, I, I kind of have a different take on how to address this than most people. Um, I guess what I thought was most interesting about this article, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to waste any airtime and just say like, it's bad. I mean, of course it's an unfortunate thing. Um, but one thing I think this is something that's been going on for years. So I think it has to be addressed like way earlier, right? First, like in medical school, those type of things in terms of understanding, um, history, um, and in terms of the medical system and how it has impacted people of color, right? Um, so I think, I don't think there's enough emphasis on that, um, whether or not that, that that is possible with all the other things that <laughs> medical students have to learn, I don't know. Um, but listen, this is one of those things where it's about a perception, right? You can't make somebody view you as when somebody dehumanizes you to a certain degree, um, you know, um, you can't change automatically change their thinking. Right. Um, we've been down this path before. My humble opinion is that we need more representation when it comes to people of color and STEM. It's plain and simple, because if you're a medical student and your supervisor writes notes like that, 
and they and your supervisor talks like that when the patient leaves, then that's how you're gonna talk and that's what you're gonna write. Right. But if your supervisor doesn't, if 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 they if they counsel you, if they if 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 they're culturally competent, um, and quite frankly, if they give a shit, <laughs> um, then you're not gonna be that type of doctor. You know, this is you know, these these are attitudes, you know. Um, so again, I'm always gonna go the representation route because you gotta be in the room to change stuff like this. This is like when we have the conversation about comments that are made about <clears throat> patients of color in treatment team meetings. You can advocate all you want, but if you're not a psychologist, a nurse, a nurse, or a, or, or, uh, a psychiatrist, what are you going to do about what is said in a treatment team in a behavioral hospital? You ain't there. They can put as many policies and as many diversity, you know, brochures on the door as they want. We're talking about attitudes and you know as well as i do those type of things get fixed in the field on the field right so somebody says something crazy when you're there and you correct them right and they don't do it anymore partly because you're there and partly because they're scared of what might happen because you're there that's how it changes in my point in my in my you know um humble opinion but what do you think um like you this uh wasn't wasn't surprised, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, this is an implication of a larger systemic issue. Um, you know, it, you know, this is a, a clear example of when they talk about like the treatment barriers, right? We talk about what are some of the barriers that we experience as people of color or other marginalized populations that they experience, you know, as far as medic, like, you know, uh, medical treatment goes. Well, I mean, the obstacles and the barriers, you know, are happening prior to the person even getting in the room or while they're in the room. Right. Because like we just said, you have physicians and clinicians before they even see the patient. Right. Or reading the the health record. Right. They're seeing, OK, what am I getting into, whether it's a specialist or it's a referral or whatever. Right. Like and if this type of stigmatizing language is in there, like the person has already made their mind up. Right. The clinician that's receiving the patient has already made their mind up. They're already seeing, well, well this person isn't going to adhere to this, right? So, like, this is where the barriers talk about, right? This is this is where, you know, they take place. And absolutely, like, getting into it as far as and maybe addressing some of the, like, these, the medical students, some, some of their, you know, implicit bias and implicit racism or whatever the situation may be at the, you know, in medical school. Yeah, that would be great. You know, to try to get into it early. At the same time, I also feel like the reason why this continues to take place is because it's also, unfortunately, a lack of education on our part. Right. Like we haven't been, you know, bestowed the information of our rights just as patients. Right. The patients, the folks that are going to a lot of these, you know, health centers and going to these hospitals don't fully understand that they have the right to see their medical record. Right. They don't know that they have the right to have all these other different things where, yeah, if these things are being said, this is what some of the actions that you can put into place. Right. You can request you can talk to the, the practice manager, you can talk to administration, you can talk to guest relations or patient relations, all these other different things. But we're not aware and we're not educated on 
you know, a lot of, unfortunately, like the mistreatment, um, whether it be overt or covert, you know, racism that we're getting put or that we're getting exposed to as far as in the medical field. So I totally agree with you. Like training would be really helpful. Um, but I also feel like us getting more understanding of where we stand and what, what rights we have as a patient, but we're not given that information. Right. Another thing, what I've seen with the training is that um, even through different hospitals, they don't the diversity programs that they put in place and all the, you know, cultural competencies and so on and so forth. Like, you know, who's not there when I when these meetings take place or these trainings, you know, who's not included. You may see the nurse in there. You may see the social worker. You know, hell, they'll rope the psychologist in there also. They'll rope the, the, the text, the, all the other. But you know who's never there? The physicians. Right. The physicians aren't there. They don't, they're too busy or whatever reason. They're not in these trainings that could be helpful, right? Maybe. But either way, they're not even put in the situation where they need to attend. You know what I mean? These trainings, these, you know, seminars, these symposiums, these summits, whatever you want to call it. Um so that language, again, like you just said, is going to continue to take place, right? They're going to continue to document in their chart because they're modeling the behavior for the medical student. So like you said, if the medical student sees that the person that the physician is documenting, like the attending is putting it in the chart, then they're going to follow suit also. And a lot of times it's just kind of those, they just kind of expose maybe sometimes the medical students to it and then they never come back to it because again, there's no follow-up. Well, listen, I'm going to say this. Um, part of it is just who I am, like representation. Listen, I'm proud of them. My brother's a black physician, mm-hmm. you know, um, representation. He's in the room, right? So he can correct those behaviors from his colleague by, from his colleagues when he sees them, if he sees them, right? I don't want to speak for him, but what I'm saying is it, it's, it's difficult to change somebody's attitude. If you look at this, you know, article, the people that were primarily those comments were made about uninsured, chronically ill, right? So these are the people that have transportation barriers, financial barriers, that have Medicaid, like let's not play the game. These are the people that we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? So we, we're starting to see the trend, right? These are the negative comments, right? These are the people that don't show up as much, can't pay as much, right? So so they're being labeled as less than right and and it affects treatment why and how because the non-compliant patient believe it or not may not be offered okay all of the treatments that the compliant patient you know is offered right the non-compliant patient may be offered that invasive procedure okay that the compliant patient would have two or three other options before they would have to do that right because they're going to have the relationship with their doctor, right? Um, and if we start seeing the trend that all of the patients that can't pay, that don't have private insurance, that aren't healthy, right, that can't pay for insulin, these are all of the people that we start seeing the negative comments about, right? And we also see the trends in terms of the medical, uh, the 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 lack of medical adherence, all of those things non-compliance, we got problems, right? Because the label is impacting treatment on some level. So again, I'm going to always go back to 
even if we force the doctor to come to the training, we can't stop him from looking at his phone and we can't change his heart or his mind. But what we can do, okay, in my, my opinion, is the person who's on the same level as him can hold him accountable, you know? Um, so, again, I know that's not possible overnight, but we need more people in the room. Every time I, I talk to people, I encourage them to go into mental health you know, or area STEM, if that's what their passion is, because we need people in the room. We can have as much policy change as we want. And what you will end up with is a training in one hand and a brochure in the other. And I can go to your training and look at my phone and I can walk right past the brochure and throw it in the garden. Right. And I'm going to underscore something that you mentioned, especially like you said, with the representation part and what you mentioned as far as trends, because which is also another trend or you'll notice, right? Those same folks that they're labeling not adherent, like you said, all these other different derogatory terms is that there's also, I guarantee you going to be a similarity where these are the same folks are that are lack, lacking transportation. They're lacking financial resources. They're lacking yeah, the like literacy, right? There might be a language barrier, right? All of these folks are going to have these same similarities and those same trends and at the same time because really what this is this is blame shifting right anytime you're putting a lot of these terms and you're just kind of leaving at that you're not seeing okay well what are some of the things that are contributing to these barriers and how can we as a medical team work with it right you're just kind of leaving it right there right really there at the super it's on the patient they don't show up for their appointment or they're not following that's on them because they can't pay for their prescription like you said, lack of insurance, lack of financial resources, right? So that's another trend that they're going to see. But of course, it's just being left like right there at the surface level. What that inclusion, and I feel like, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, is like when you have someone that looks like you, right? You have someone, you walk into an office and or a medical office and you see a clinician that looks like you, right? That's that opportunity. Like you said, we have more people in the room, not only to hold their colleagues accountable, but they're also able to provide that information that that patient wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. Right. And that's where it's just like, yo, they're able to have that conversation and say, hey, these are some of the things that you can do and work with them through whatever barriers are having. And also just enlightening them, like you said, like the lack of resources and that the resources that the other patient are getting, the ones that are adherent, is a big difference between the ones, the information that the not adherent one, quote unquote, isn't getting sure. But that's also a big part, you know what I mean, of when you you see that inclusion, they're also getting that information out to the community so they can start to do well and they can pass it on. So, um, you know, it's definitely like you said, it's it's a larger systemic issue. And absolutely, the education and inclusion piece is going to be a thing. Uh, So it's it's uphill battle, man. But like you said, trying to, like you said, get the generation involved with STEM I think that's definitely one of the best uh, vehicles we can do to try to turn this ship around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Jay, let me ask you a question. If a meal is consumed at a restaurant but doesn't get posted online, did it really happen? Not in 2022. It didn't happen. That's right. Didn't happen. All right. Especially now that 95% of Americans own a cell phone. All right. So, 
opportunistic restaurants, you know, they're starting to encourage smartphone usage, right? By designing like the venues and the menus, like with Instagram in mind, right? So, you know, like they have like little barcode. I don't know if that's what it's actually called, but mm-hmm. you know, whatever, right? QR so got, code, man, QR yeah, code. Barcode, scan code, whatever it is, right? <laughs> so, you know, and if they don't go viral, like these photos, right? They become free marketing for the chef, right? right? For the restaurant, right? For the whole business. However, with this kind of being, you know, the you know really prevalent in our culture now, a handful of restaurant operators are actually going in the opposite direction, right? And they're starting to actively discourage phone usage at the table, right? So it's actually like kind of like a marketing ploy of like how the good old days used to be, you know, when you could actually just share a mail and have a real life conversation, right? And not not being on the gram. So a number of restaurants have recently had their employees take the time to personally request that visitors uh, keep their phones off the table for the duration of the meal. Some restaurants have actually, you know, uh, posted signs or warned guests against taking photos of their meals at the venue. Like some restaurants have like actually had like little tabletops or like little tabletop boxes, little small decorative boxes that you put your phone in. Um, so this is starting to become a growing trend. All right. So, Jay, the question I have for you, I have two questions. All right. Could you make it through dinner without checking your phone? And do you think that this is a good idea, a bad idea that uh, some of these restaurants are kind of going in with the no phone? I, I like it. I love it. Make make the restaurant like a library. Okay. You know? Make make it so that you get shunned if you're using your phone if it's not an emergency. You know that people got to use their phone out in the front with the smokers. You know what I mean? <laughs> they have like a little little smoking area out there, a little, yeah, a little man, phone listen. area. <laughs> listen, man. I, I love technology, you know, but technology has ruined us to a certain degree. Mm. It's just, listen, it's not just kids. It's adults, too. You know, um, I work with teenagers every day. But the, the biggest impact I, I can kind of see is, you know, in their in their social skills, man. You know, um, and I mean, listen, I think I started kind of seeing this like 10 years ago. And just, you know, kind of laughing with my mom and family and stuff. We go into restaurants and you see the whole family looking at their phone. Like nobody's even no, talking. No conversation at all. Everybody in the So group. that's what I do now. Like we go out to dinner, you know, it's kind of like a joke. It's like we'll be looking at people. They'll be on a date and we'll be like, like, damn, they ain't talking 30 minutes. Yeah, you know? people watch and, it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, um. And again, it's a common thing now, but to me, you know, it, and I, I, to me, it's, it's, it's got to be a boring time, right? Because you don't have that connection, right? And, I, and the other piece I'll say before I get your opinion on it is along that line is like, I see a lot of people like you, be, you, you go out, right? And you see a lot of people literally it's almost like they go out to take their Instagram pictures and then they're ready to go home after they take the picture. Like they went out to take the picture. So it's almost like, think about it, right? Like back in the day, right? I'm going to date myself. But back in the day, you would go on a vacation, take pictures, right? Come home, develop the pictures. Why? So you could look at them and remember the time you had. Now it's a it's reverse. It's like forget the time. Nobody cares about whether they're having a good time. It's just all about the good picture, so that you everybody else thinks you're having a good time. 
you literally spend your whole meal trying to take a good picture, right? So the focus isn't on the ribs that come out anymore. It's on taking a picture of the ribs. Yeah, you, you know, don't, the only picture that people saw of you when you were on vacation was the postcard. Right. right? <laughs> like, if you would have mentioned a postcard to probably some people, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. That was the only way that people knew that you were away. Uh, you know what I mean? Was the postcard. That's the right. only visual you got because they weren't sending pictures that they took. Like you said, they had to be developed. Right. right. So, you know, yeah, it's different. I mean, for me, I, I, I always get backlash about this. You know, I'm the old man get off my lawn guy, right? Yeah, we know, we know. I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, man. Like, I, I it just takes you away, one, for me personally, it, it takes you away from the person that, one, if you're at dinner with, right? Whether it be the family, whether it be your partner or whatever, like, you're not engaged with that person. Like you said, you're not even having a conversation. Like, you're, you're on your phone, you know? And then it turns into a whole kind of a thing, a spectacle where everybody's taking pictures, right? So as you're sitting there trying to eat or you're waiting, like it, all you're seeing is flashes. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's it. Like, especially like if you're in a, you know, you're in a nice restaurant and the ambiance is nice, it's darker, right? Like, so only thing you're seeing is a whole bunch of flashes. That's all you're seeing. And people are looking, people are constantly looking like, oh, what's that? Like person's getting the whole mood, right? Like that. That's a pet peeve of mine, man. Like, I'm, I'm not hating on anybody. So if you're here listening, okay, don't unsubscribe. Okay, <laughs> Dr. Kyle said he doesn't like that. You know, to each his own. Like, I get it. You want to, you know, you want to you wanna celebrate that you're eating at a nice place, the food, whatever it is. I get it. So I, I understand that concept. I'm just saying for me, it turns into a completely type of different event because, like you said, it's more about, you know, posting where you're at what you're eating, so on and so forth. It's because more of a status symbol type of situation as opposed to actually enjoying the meal. And like that, that's the opposite of mindfulness, right? The whole thing is that you're sitting there taking a picture of the food. And like you said, by that time, you're taking a picture, you, then you're posting it, right? Because you got to go through the whole motions of like posting yep. it, come up with a caption. You got to have the, you got to have the caption. Yeah, you got to have a caption. You might want to put some music next to it. You know what I mean? Like all these other different things. And by that time, like the food is either cold or you didn't even eat it. Or if you did eat it, you don't even remember eating it. Cause by the whole time you were probably like eating and, and, and te- like, it, it's a whole thing, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm old school. I, I, I've never been a big fan of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for posting whatever you want to post after i do it all the time you know but um you know i just found myself you know caught up in you know kind of taking pictures and posting and all that and i found myself you know not even not enjoying my night you know what i mean like um just you know so you know i kind of try to do it the other way i mean i i listen anybody who likes to just post their life, you know, minute by minute. I'm not, I'm not hating on you, but um, in terms of the meal, I just think, um, I just think it's a good idea. No, I, I definitely feel where, um, where some restaurant owners and chefs are, are coming from their, you know, their, their thought process regarding like, Hey, just enjoy the meal. Cause if you look at it, like, yeah, I'm sure they would love the publicity. I'm sure they want the marketing, you know, at the same time, I, I'm, I imagine someone as a chef who's an artist, right? They creating this menu, this food for you to enjoy. 
you're not able to do that, right? It's really taking you away from the experience. So I can see where chefs are like, hey, we want you to just focus on it. One, enjoy the food. Two, don't be a distraction from other people trying to enjoy their food. So, you know, but again, like go, you know, flash, you know, take your pictures, pose, do do what you think. It's not Dr. Kyle. I'm not hating on y'all. I'm not, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with this. So, uh, so we'll see, you know, yeah. that's interesting. man. All right. So speaking of phones, all right. Speaking of social media, you know, I feel like at least every few episodes we get one that kind of sneaks in there with social media. Right. All right. So another study has come to light linking ticks to social media as researchers have found that more time scrolling on apps can actually make ticks worse. Okay. So physicians have reported an influx of teen patients uh, with ticks or involuntary movements since 2020. All right. There was a small study of teens and tweens that found an association between time spent on social media and the severity of their ticks. So in the study, it was 20 young adults between the ages of 11 and 21, and they completed a survey of their time spent on social media, the frequency and severity of ticks and their overall quality of life. All right. The vast majority of participants, uh, 90 percent, said that they use social media more during the COVID-19 pandemic. And then 85 percent indicated that their ticks also grew more frequent over that time span. All right. Half of the teens uh, said that the social media negatively impacted their ticks um, and reported a significant link between the increase in tick severity Greater social and greater social media use um, and reduced quality of life. All right, Jay, as you read this, what do you think? What do you what's your what's your take? Um, just because I I just don't want to assume everybody is as you know clear. Just in terms of the tick, when we talk about that, we're talking about like a compulsive behavior. It could be twitches, grunts. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people are fam- uh, familiar with like Tourette syndrome, where in that particular disorder, people would be saying might might be saying like obscene things. Right. Um, but again, I thought this was interesting, number one, because it coincided with like the onset of the pandemic. Right. Um, and we kind of talked about it. It's fairly well documented at this point of just how the pandemic and all of the conditions that we don't have to, you know, kind of rehash here in terms of like isolation, increased screen time. We talked about doom scrolling. Right. How that can like exacerbate. Um, pre-existing mental health disorders, whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, um, we've seen it exacerbate other disorders. So in that sense, I'm not surprised about this, you know? Um, And I definitely thought it was interesting because it coincided with the onset of the pandemic. Like now with that being said, you know, we got to, you know, kind of, you know, um, uh, we got to kind of like, in terms of tame our expectations a little bit, because we got to remember this is a small study. It was only 20 people. Um, and all of these teens that were involved in this study um, had ticks prior to the pandemic, right? So this isn't people that are developing ticks, right? They, they have a mental health disorder that's, that's worsening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was interesting, you know, but as always, you know, we got to remember, you know, correlation does not equal causation as we were told over and over in school, my brother. Of course. Yeah, um, I thought this was was interesting. Um, as I was reading through the article, it said as many of the girls were they reported using TikTok. Um, some of the patients 
they said that they had spent a lot of time watching like the video influencers um, who had reported uh, having Tourette syndrome and other tick disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to keep a lot of different things like in the consideration. Um, and like, it, it really reminded me of a situation where I remember a few years ago, um, there was like a group of like 12 or 15 year old girls at, at a high school, like in New York upstate that also like developed like some, like a similar type of situation where they were developing like, a lot of tics and you know, Tourette like symptoms. Um, so something that kind of came to mind for me was like a conversion disorder, right? For the reason that if this is, you know, one, they had no previous like um, symptoms prior to, right? But then also usually with a conversion disorder situation, similar to like when you're experiencing uh, like a sudden change of like intense anxiety, stress, isolation, which is what, you know, um, the pandemic pretty much brought for a lot of different people, you know, it seemed very similar to it. And so, okay. like, you know, if you're you take in consideration also if you're spending a lot of time watching TikTok influencers who have the, the, the Tourette syndrome or say that they do and other tick disorders, you know, I, I kind of felt like, OK, is some of this has to be taken into consideration. Like, is it a conversion disorder? Of course, you can't come out and, and you know, and label that because that would be irresponsible. And we don't know all the history involved. But it deems it did seem like eerily similar to you know, that situation that took place at that high school um, a few years ago with those teenage girls. Um, I mean, I think, again, like the, the combination of social media and just kind of the, the pandemic is taken as had a lot of adverse effects. So that's the first thing that kind of stood out for me. Like this seemed like a a form of maybe a conversion disorder, something that might be taking place, being that these things kind of, it seemed like there's some type of relationship. So that's what came I up. Mean, see. And this is the thing about this study, right? Like, uh, again, further investigation is obviously needed. Um, you know, they were very careful to, you know, to kind of suggest and state, you know, you know, just because they're talking about like associations, you know, they're not talking about causation, obviously. But um, I would like, you know, to see another study that kind of tried to nail down like what exactly about the social media use was exacerbating the ticks, right? Um, because there's so many aspects of, you know, social social media. I mean, like, is it, was it the length of time they were on? Was it the type of content? Is it the brightness of the screen? Like, I, that may sound crazy, but I don't know. You, nah. know, you, you understand, you understand yeah, yeah. what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, the way my mind that, works, yeah, it goes in a- things, Yeah, all those things can lead to like inadvertent reinforcement or like increases, right? I mean- I'm just throwing those things out just in terms of like the article didn't address that. Um, and obviously they're writing an article about a study. So who knows if that's addressed. Um, but it's definitely, you know, interesting. Um, and because they got that association, um, you know, it's something that they're going to continue to take, you know, to um, kind of look into. Um, but anything that involves like social media and teen mental or medical health, you know, is going to, cause red flags and you know people are going to be interested in what the results are right because it ties directly into what we were just talking about in the last article right you go into any restaurant in america you're going to see a teenager sitting with their family on their phone yeah (laughs) you know um so again you know we got to remember this is a small study and also these these teens 
you know, had takes prior um, to the pandemic. But nevertheless, you know, it's an interesting association to kind of make. Now, I think with like you mentioned, you have to ask or take those other different uh, parameters into consideration. Right. Especially if you're talk- anything involving social media is you're going to try to establish some type of relationship or maybe it's like, all right, we got to look at the fids. Right. Frequency, intensity, duration. Right. So we can actually come up with, say, how has this, you know, affected this, you know, their particular relationship or their symptom. So we'll see. I mean, I'm hoping that they'll probably continue to, um, you know, do a longitude study and do some have more applicants or more participants so we can have a larger sample size. So, you know, we'll see, man. But that, uh, you know, that social media, that TikTok, it's a monster, man. They'll suck you in, man. It's not a lot of good news coming out in terms of research about social media nowadays, but what do we expect? The the research on the metaverse is going to be worse. That's what I can, oh, that's man. what I can guarantee. Oh, the metaverse is that that's where where do you start reading about people that didn't show up to work for a week? And they and then in the metaverse, they like the mayor or some got a got a whole another life, whole Yo. city. I'm telling you, they're going to be a mogul or something in the metaverse to have a record label, a McDonald's, all kinds of stuff. Listen, Digital man. coins. And in real life, they ain't been in working weeks. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for the uh, the mental health related <laughs> studies on that one. Yeah. All right. Yeah, wait, till you get, wait till you get your first referral yeah, for somebody right. that won't go to work, <laughs> but they go because they in the metaverse. <laughs> going to be asking you know, if we can do sessions. Hey, you do sessions in the metaverse? Like, nah, bro, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, you, I'm going to have an office in the metaverse. Drop that Bitcoin off. There you go, that crypto, baby. Yeah, drop that off. All right, Jay, anything else before we get out of here, good bro? No, always, you know, we just want to thank anybody who takes the time to listen. You know, we appreciate you uh, liking the videos, sharing the videos. Um, So we just want to thank you for hanging with us. Um, As always, remember to prioritize your mental health. Absolutely. We appreciate all the support, guys, again. A little over a year, we're continuing to grow the numbers. So continue to share, uh, DM us messages, ideas. You know, any questions you have, we love interacting with you guys. Uh, we love the feedback. So um, yeah, uh, we appreciate the love. So you know, without anything else, Jay, um, talk to you next time, bro. All right, bro. Later. All right.